This week, we have a very full show with a ton of marathoning talent, so we'll hop right into it. It was a few weeks ago at the Canadian Marathon Championships, graciously hosted by the Scotia Toronto Waterfront Marathon, a few runners introduced themselves to a wider audience, making their marks by running very, very well. On this week's show, we have two of those runners. We chat candidly with Canadian champion Trevor Hoffbauer about his debut, but first, Melanie Moran talks about her breakout race and winning a national bronze medal. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, at The Terminal Mile on Twitter and Instagram, a Tracky Radio production. Melanie Marand surprised a lot of people with her 239 marathon in Toronto, but anyone following along with her year would know that she's been killing it all year with PBs in the 10, half, as well now as the 42.2. We caught up with the freshly crowned national marathon bronze medalist, earlier this week so scotia toronto that was i mean it was so so big for on a couple different levels because it was you know a dramatic improvement over the last time that you ran a marathon but it it also got you a national bronze medal in the marathon as well too talk me through that race from from start to finish you know what was the thought process and uh did you feel like did you feel like 239 was your number that day i think it was like Going into it, I was a little bit hesitant just because I had done a half in Philly maybe about five weeks before, four weeks, and I ran 117.12 and thinking, oh, well, that's more equivalent maybe to like a 242 or something. But I really wanted to run. The goal was to run sub 240. And knowing that there was um, a pacer going out at 239 with with a strong group of women, we were a good pack of like five or six. So knowing I would have that group, I thought to myself, and John and I kind of made that decision together that I would, I would, I would try to stay with that pack, and uh, and I did, and uh, I was lucky. I I had uh, Joanna that pacer to myself after 18k. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, I thought it, the, the pace it went out like we went out pretty much on pace, but from five to 10k, uh, it was a bit quick, a little bit maybe like 10 or. 15 seconds faster than we wanted for that 5k and then looking around slowly some of the women that were in my group had dropped off and by 18k I realized I was alone with him and that kind of gave me a positive boost too knowing that I was sticking with him but then I also thought oh maybe we're going too fast and maybe they're actually maybe the other women are 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 smarter than I am and 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 being more conservative right now so but when I got to the halfway point and I was still feeling good uh, I knew, okay, I think I'm doing the right thing here. And then at 30K, I still felt pretty good. And it really, I, I could, at 35K is when it got hard. And you can kind of see in my splits, so that's when it slowed down a bit. But I actually looked at my watch at that point and I told myself to relax because um, I realized at that point that if, even if I was running four minute Ks and even if I had to slow down, I would still, I would still be able to run sub 240. And at that point, I knew I was in third. So, and I didn't think there was anybody coming to get me. So I, I, I was kind of in a really positive mental space at that point. So when everything's just rolling, you, you just keep going and, and it feels great. You know, it's one of those races where everything it's, you know, what's great about running is you're, you're always trying to chase those magical moments that don't happen very often when you're racing and you don't even feel like you're racing and you're just flowing and that that's how it felt the whole way and I never thought that that's how I would have felt in that marathon I never ever ever thought it would have felt that that good 
but it did. It felt really good. <laughs> yeah. You know, as as uh, as good as that must have felt, I can imagine that there's a couple different turnaround points on the course. Uh, you know, at the the 10k point, uh, there's something later when you're going up by the DVP. Uh, there's another one, yeah. and I think at 33, I imagine going in with mm-hmm. that that group of girls. You're probably you know looking and and kind of measuring how far back they were at those various turnarounds. Yeah. Yeah, that, those tw- turnarounds were good for that. And also, it was fun because I had a couple of my, like, three of my teammates uh, running the, the Toronto Marathon as well, Julian Flynn, Anthony, and um, and Matthew. So when I went, well, I could see them as I was doing the turnaround, too. So it was just fun. It was, I find, like, the marathon, it's like you're out to war. You're out there for, like, two or three hours. Your friends are running, your teammates, you don't know where anybody is. You want to know if they're okay. So just like turning, like doing those turnarounds and seeing where other people are at and you're like, okay, we're all good. We're doing well. And then seeing Leslie and and Lindsay like ahead too, and they were looking so strong. It was just, yeah, it was really motivating. It was, it was really, really positive the whole way. And I really liked those turnarounds too. Yeah, it was fun. so talking to uh, to Leslie Sexton and her coach Steve Weiler, um, they were they were kind of hedging their bets going in, uh, just looking at the weather forecast and and saying, well, you know what, we can't run a PB today. Is that something that popped into your mind uh, as you followed the weather forecast? As I'm sure you did uh, going into that race weekend. I was a bit worried, um, but you know. Uh we came off a of summer, we just came off summer training. So I figured, you know, running at 14 degrees will be fine. I ran in Cote d'Ivoire this winter, I mean, this this summer for Jeux de Francophonie mm-hmm. in the 10,000. So that was like 40 degree weather. <laughs> um, I had done some heat acclimatization for that race um, for about 10 days back then. So I figured, you know, it, it'll be hot for sure. It might be a bit warm, but I feel like I, I didn't, I didn't worry about it too much my first marathon that I did in 2014 was in Montreal and it was very hot that day it must have been over 25 degrees so I I didn't let the weather really get to my to my head too much yeah I just I had this plan let's go for that 239 stay with that group and then uh, we'll see what happens along the way <laughs> you, uh, yeah you, you... so I didn't worry too much about the heat I didn't, I didn't readjust my goal at all I would say but I would say it was hmm. really smart for Leslie to have done that and I think uh she executed her race perfectly having having thought to do that yeah you mentioned the francophone games um man it's just been a big year for you Uh, taking a look at your all athletics profile right now um you pp'd in the 10,000 meter uh i believe that was in guelph at the at the national championships got a silver there uh you also Mm -hmm. pb'd in the marathon by by a whole lot as well too you know just taking a look at this half marathon philadelphia a couple weeks before What's what's really quick clicked for you this year and your training? Yeah, well, the thing is, like, I didn't really, I felt like things weren't clicking to be honest until <laughs> this marathon because, and it's funny, it's just because the year before, um, in 2016, I ran my the, the 10,000 meter um, Inferno in 34:17, and then this year I ran 34:12, and obviously it's a different race, etc. And, and Rachel and I battled it out really well in that race. It was great this year, um, but you know I got a five-second PB. And this year I've been doing so much more work than I did last year. I went to a training camp in Flagstaff. I went to California with some of the people from Quebec. I tried to race more. Um, 
uh, get into bigger races and I, I ran the most I've ever ran. I, I'm working a day less. And then I, I didn't feel like I was getting the results I wanted um, until until Toronto. So I think what really clicked for Toronto was I was really well tapered. Um, yeah, and it's just an accumulation of everything over the year, right? So all that work that I did over the winter, maybe there was some fatigue that I built in. Maybe there was some, maybe I needed more rest. And, and it's just finding that balance of, of rest and work. And I think I'm still trying to find that. So I think... I think I found a good strategy for the marathon and what works leading up to it. Um, will it will it be will it go that smoothly the next time around? I'm not sure. Um, obviously, with more aggressive goals come more mistakes, and <laughs> and sometimes uh, well, the marathon can be a shit show, so <laughs> things can go wrong after 30k. But yeah, I think what really clicked was. I was really, really well tapered, and I think I was able to really manage the rest and the work for for this marathon. And I really only felt like it really clicked for for this race this year, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I didn't really get the other results that I really wanted, even though they seemed to have been good. I still wanted faster, faster results. Yeah, you know. A PB in the ten uh, shows that that you really still have you know a, a lot of a lot of headspace in that one still to go. Uh, you know, obviously this marathon was was a big breakthrough for you as well too. Would you say you're more of a ten k person or more of a marathon runner? Like, what what do you have your sights on for for next year? Yeah, that's that's what John and I we we sat down and we discussed, and I feel like the second that I start doing. Uh, a, a spring marathon is when I'll be a marathoner. And and I, I know you could still run 10Ks and, and do like two marathons a year, but I feel like if I do a spring marathon, it'll take away uh, from being able to compete at, at different 10K uh, or 10,000-meter 10, 10, uh, races. So um, the plan for next year is to continue to do 10,000-meter and 10Ks and, some, and, and a half in the spring. In, in the winter and uh yeah and 10,000 meters 10k in the summer and then another fall marathon so I still I still want to improve on the 10k and 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 I do hear a lot of I hear that if you can run a fast 10k it definitely has a lot of benefit for your for your marathon as well so and, and I do I find I do enough mileage during my 10k training so so it it transfers easily eventually when I when I start doing more marathon specific workouts it's not too much of a change so so yeah I still haven't decided I still like to do both (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> you uh you mentioned the francophone games a little bit earlier you ran the 10,000 there um was that your first national team and you know what what did you take from the experience really uh it was my first national team so that was it was great to be a part of that um definitely the the race it had gone out really slow and it's not really the style of racing that I like so championship style racing is definitely not one of my strengths I'm one of those type of people that likes to go out hard and then kind of hold on. Hmm. Um, and that's not how they usually go. So I definitely have a lot of learning to do. Um, I was hoping, because looking at the list of women that were running, um, I was hoping that eventually, it w- I, ho- I was hoping it would go out faster and that I would have been able to get a group and then have a little race within that group. I wasn't really expecting a medal or anything based on the other people in the race. Um, but yeah, I was hoping to get a little race out of it. It ended up, 
that it started out so slowly that I just decided to take the lead and I led for 5K. And then, yeah, it was, it was, it, it, it maybe wasn't the smartest uh, race strategy on my part, but I definitely have some learning to do when it comes to that and, and trying to get comfortable at different paces and, uh, and learning to, to run at a slower pace and then be able to pick it up and switch gears. Switching gears is definitely something I need to work on. So luckily you don't have to do that too much in the marathon, but yeah. I definitely have some work to do for the 10K, so it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I read um, you are a nurse practitioner, and I read that you uh, fairly recently you kind of cut back a little bit on your on your hours. Uh, you, what what inspired this? You know, um, I guess you know refocusing on on your running, and uh, you know has has the move been really good for you? Well, I kind of had this improvement ever since I went back to school, I found I, I, I went back to school to do my master's as a nurse practitioner. And before that I was working in the ICU. So I was doing night shifts, uh, 12 hour shifts. Um, so a mix of days and nights and, and yeah, I would still run six, seven days a week. I wouldn't do doubles back then, but I was definitely still running quite a bit, but I wasn't resting, um, as much as I probably should have been, but that was fine. It wasn't, uh, I wasn't trying to perform at a higher level. Um, but once I went back to school, I definitely had a lot more rest. And then I found that um, when I when I started this new job as a nurse practitioner, I told myself, well, let's try to replicate that that student life. Like, not that being a student is easy, but for me as a student, I was able to be off my feet a lot more. And as a nurse practitioner, you're off your feet more than running around in an ICU. But um, just being at home more and trying to rest more and 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 focus on on all the other little things that that'll help you improve. And what kind of triggered that was, yeah, just seeing how much I had improved over that two year period when I did my master's and just having that extra rest helped a lot. So I'm like, let's just see for the next, before I, I decide to get onto the next chapter of my life, let's, let's see what I can do now because I, I was able to drop in two years, I was able to drop my 10 K by almost two, two minutes. So, or three minutes. So let's, let's see what can happen if, if I continue this, you know? So just that dream. Yeah. So I was like, let's, let's live it a bit longer. So my, my husband's really patient with me. I always have this new, new goals and yeah, he's patient luckily. (laughs) Yeah. So after having such a a successful marathon, um, you know, has the thought entered your mind, you know, have you had that conversation with, with John who we'll get to in a second, you know, where, where Tokyo 2020 or the next world championships is, is on the radar? Yeah. Well, the the thing about world championships is it's in Doha. So although I would love to go there to compete in the marathon, might, it might be a little hot, (laughs) So we'll see. Like we're 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 still deciding, um, but I think if if we had to make any type of decision over worlds versus not that you can't do both, but sometimes I feel like you have to be strategic with which marathons you choose, right? Because you can only run so many a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it would be Tokyo if I had to make that type of decision. But uh, we kind of have Chicago in in. Uh, in the plans for if everything goes well for 2018. So that's the plan. Yeah. So we'll see. You train with, uh, with John LaFranco and, uh, I noticed that around me and the results, uh, there was another, um, 
well, because uh, I'm an Anglophone, or I'll call your group AVM. But uh, there's there's Julian Flynn, who also appears in you know various championship races as well. Does does really well there as well too. Um, I believe Shelley Doucette is also trained by John LaFranco. Talk to me about that mm-hmm. group. How has it uh, been instrumental in your improvement? Well, Julian and I, um, we had ran um, at McGill together, and uh, now she lives in Ithaca. She's at Cornell, so she's doing uh, her PhD over there. So we don't actually get to train together anymore, but I really do miss running with Julian. We were really good uh, training partners, and uh, we both know how to push each other, but we also both knew how to hold each other back. So if I was doing an interval too fast or vice versa, we, we would, we would uh, control each other. So I really, I really missed running with Julian. She was really, really, really fun and uh, great to work with. Uh, Shelly, um, she, she lives in New Brunswick, so she's also coached at a distance. Uh, she's coached by John at a distance, but we did a training camp together in uh, Flagstaff. Uh, so I was there for a bit longer than her, but she's definitely uh, really full of energy and uh, great great to, to to train with and i would really like to do another training camp with her unfortunately it was only a week with her so uh but we definitely uh we had a good time up there and uh we did some uh some crazy hard tempos and very thin air so it was great to have her yeah yeah so that's good i, I mainly train with with guys on the team now like at home so i, I run with kazi and um anthony and uh, dan a lot so they're kind of my and matthew so that's kind of like the group that that i that i train with and help me out with tempos and i was able and what's great in the running community right now is that in canadian running community is the coaches really do collaborate together so i was able even to get out to kingston and run with uh with Lindsay and uh clara who were also part they they were they were both doing the marathon for toronto so we all had the same goal um for the marathon so it was great that uh, I got to go out there and train with them once so that was fun yeah so it's great yeah with so many uh, great female runners right now focusing on the marathon and really a, a renewed sort of of depth in in, in the distance you, you know is there You've mentioned collaboration, but is there also, you know, increased competitiveness between between all the runners? You know, is is there, you know, something that goes on in the back of your mind? Like, okay, I know that Claire and Lindsay are probably training like this right now, so I need to get my butt out the door and uh, and really focus on this sort of thing. Yeah, I'm definitely, you know, I I, I want to be everybody's friend when I work out with them, and I want to be their friend off the off the track or off the road but when, when we get on the start line or when I get on the start line I want to be competitive and I think that makes it fun and it's and it's it as long as it's healthy I think um yeah I think it's good so I definitely I am I'll admit it and I think anyone that knows me knows I'm a competitive person so I definitely want to beat other people but I'm very 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 happy and and genuinely happy for for anyone that that does very well so <laughs> so yeah mm-hmm. definitely having other strong women around it, it wants it, they they motivate me to to get my butt out the door and like for example Victoria Coates who ran 113 last week and a half mm-hmm. that motivates me to 
to get my butt out the door because I want to run one thirteen and a half too. <laughs> you know, maybe it won't happen the next time I run it, but I want I want to run those those type of performances as well. So I'm I'm genuinely happy for everybody, but I also feel that I I want to succeed as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> So 2018, it's a uh, what's called a non-championship year. Uh, not a whole lot going on. Uh, what what do you have planned for this next year? Yeah, I heard there's NACAC track, so there's mm-hmm. t- a 10,000 meter. But I'm assuming there'll be a lot of Canadians that want to participate in that because it's in Toronto. So the goal is to kind of just run fast this year. So. 10,000 meters as fast as I can. If it gets me into another team, that would be great. If I, if I don't, there's, there's a ton of other Canadian women that are, they're much faster than me. So it's very possible that I don't, which is fine. Um, but definitely Chicago 2018 in October is the goal for the fall. And in the summer, um, I'll try to get, I'll go to California for some 10,000 to try to get fat, to get some fast times. And then I'll probably do the Inferno again. Um, yeah, so we're kind of, and then I'm, I'll do Houston in uh, January. So Leslie and Lindsay, I think, are running that as well. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. So other Canadian women are are running or supposed to be running it. We'll see what happens, but it should be it should be fun. Yeah. World half marathon on your mind then? Yeah, definitely. That would be the goal. Yeah, a qualifying time. Yeah. Well, it's a it. It's uh, it's been a story of I guess collaboration, but uh, and and teamwork and and all that sort of stuff. But uh, hey, you finally had those those real breakout races and and a real breakout uh, year from from where I'm standing, anyways. And it's been a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, thanks thanks a lot for being on the show this week. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. Trevor Hoffbauer is a guy who has long been on this show's radar from the Calgary days where he made himself a name in the half marathon to now a national marathon champion with a very, very strong debut. I caught up with Trevor earlier this week in Guelph. All right, so I don't want to take too much credit here, but I figure it should be mentioned. I think we first came across each other before I even started this show. It was on Strava. There was, uh, you know, those national distance challenges or whatever. Mm. And uh, someone named Nacho Libre was up at the top. So I thought I'd follow that because obviously this guy knows what he's doing. I think you were actually only running six days a week back then. Um, You hadn't had your breakthrough in Calgary. What a time, eh? Yeah, I'm still running six days a week. (laughs) Some things never change. (laughs) Really? You haven't stepped up to seven days a week yet, eh? I did when I moved here. And I just found that it really exhausted me. I'm really focused on getting the sufficient amount of recovery in for the week. And I find that taking a Sunday or a Monday off every single week has done wonders in terms of uh, how I've progressed over the years. And even just on a weekly basis, how I can go from one week to the next week, how I can improve and how I can handle the mileage. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, a, a little bit earlier this year, you were injured. You had a stress fracture. Um, I think you did a lot of cross training then. And I have to know, has that changed? You know, when, when you came back, did you say, did you look at it and say, well, maybe I should be doing more cross training in supplementation to what I'm running? It hasn't changed too much. Like when I got hurt, um, I was doing about like 
10 to 12 hours of physical activity every week. And then on top of that, you would have your rolling and stretching. So in, re- in reality, you're probably putting in 18 to 20 hours of dedicated time towards the sport. So when I got hurt, um, that turned into like 10 hours of biking or weights or um, rest. Anything to fill that 10 hours without actually running that's what I did or even in the pool too so um, when I got back into training the more hours I put in on my feet the less hours I put in in the weight room or in the pool on the bike kind of thing so didn't really matter if I was hurt or not Mm -hmm. I would put in the same amount of time per week towards the sport as I would at any other time you know one thing that I think that we should really touch on because it's what everyone wants to know is the Scotia race but I, I don't think this can all fit into one question. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll start from the beginning and we'll, we'll work from there. Um, the morning of, I see you there. And man, you were so in the zone. You were just completely <laughs> locked in. Yeah. Headphones in, not paying attention to anything in the world. Sweet mustache. Thanks, man. But uh, man, is that how you are for every race? Not every race. For big races, um, but it's just something you have to do. Like on a one-on-one level, whenever I see you, I welcome you, <laughs> and I try and like, I try and be me <laughs> as much yeah. as I can. But race day, like, that's when, that's when it's just all business. And if you mm-hmm. can understand that, people are going to be a little bit more quiet than they regularly are, or they're just going to be a bit different on that day. Then I don't think you understand the sport fully. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, like when I when I saw you, I noticed you because you had that little bit of facial hair and the white singlet on. I'm like, that's Michael. Still not talking to him. And I didn't talk to anybody. I even had a friend from Calgary come up and she like tapped me on the shoulder and like I turned around because you never know. It might be like mm-hmm. kids, so you want to be respectful. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't hear her because I just had Eminem blasting in my headphones. <laughs> and I think she wanted a hug. And I completely disre- disregarded that. I just turned around and kept on doing my thing. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we missed a couple fist bumps and I saw that look on your face. I was like, okay. I know, I know where he's at right now and I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to disrupt that. Yeah. I think even like Josh Bolton, David Freak, uh, Dan Way and all those guys, they passed by and again, I, music was too loud, but I could kind of hear stuff that they're saying just in that moment, didn't care because it was only the marathon. That's the only thing I cared about on that Sunday morning. For sure. For sure. So you step to the line you know, it's your first one. What, what is going on in that, in that moment? Like, are you one of those people who just visualizes the course, visualizes your next two hours and however many minutes, 18 minutes, I guess, in this case. Absolutely. It was just like any other race. Like you want to get your strides done. You want to feel fresh. You want to get a good flow going. And that's what I was trying to do. Like when we cross paths, is just get like a good flow. So it wasn't like a super dynamic warm up where you're like, really just acing your high knees or whatever you do for your warm-up. It was just like a matter of getting good flow going because the race is so long that you don't have to run 20 minutes before it warm-up or you don't have to be like sprinting back and forth 10 times. You can warm up in the race. And yeah, just focus on getting a good flow going. And then once the gun goes, you just want to execute because you put in, I don't know how many hours I actually put in over that training block, but you put in a significant amount of time for a two-hour time period. Mm-hmm. You just want to make sure you ace it, and you want to make sure everything goes well. So I just focus on feeling good throughout. So I have to wonder, 
because I myself have watched it back, but mm -hmm. the the race coverage, um, you know, that must be so weird hearing people comment on what you're doing. And uh, sometimes it was good and sometimes it was not what they were talking about. You know, when you watched it back, what, what were you thinking? I watched about... <laughs> five percent of the race because <laughs> i just i wanted to take a look at myself at the beginning of the race and then towards the end of the race and see how my form broke down right. and from what i saw my form didn't break down too much so i didn't really listen to what anybody had to say or anything i just focused on what i did and what i can to do to improve for the next go around mm -hmm. so uh, in that regard yeah nothing i don't listen to anything <laughs> i just focus on what i believe is right and good things will play out for sure for sure and you know talking about how form breaks down and all that stuff you know there's the myth of the of the 20 miler um 30k 20 miles around there is is when apparently it all starts to go downhill did you find that was the case um it was a little bit different uh this go around so being the first one i really wanted to see how my body would respond especially towards the later part of the race and i found that at kilometer 26 even in my long runs i don't know what it is but like kilometer 26 i just don't feel good <laughs> even if i'm out for an easy run i look at my watch and i'm not feeling good and it's just 26 kilometers every time it's just so weird so 26 kilometers came around and i just like felt kind of weird but then you think about it and you don't have that much left to do i think you have like 16 kilometers if my math is right yeah it is so you have 16 kilometers left you just want to get that done it's about an hour of running um and then at about 34 kilometers you have that little turnaround and i noticed how far back sammy was and how far back john was and i just mm -hmm. focused on finishing the race so i put on the brakes and i just really wanted to see how my body would feel like kilometer after kilometer 35 to 36 to 37 because i was talking with reed the night before and he was saying that the big unknown for his first marathon was how he would feel after those kind of points right. and he said that he was at like kilometer 32 and he felt really good and then 33 came along and he felt <laughs> significantly worse <laughs> mm -hmm. so i just wanted to make sure that i wasn't going to have one of those moments mm -hmm. so i i think i ran like four consecutive 330 kilometers and for me that's definitely not the pace that i want to run in a marathon but it was safe and i had a lot of room so i was able to do so and i think i can go faster and yeah. I, I know i can go faster so it was just it was a smart move to make and I didn't really hit that true wall. Right. One day I might. And I think now that we have the first one under our belt, we have room for improvement and we know how the body's going to respond. That's one thing that I think that, um, you know, between the first marathon and finishing the first marathon is finding out what that true marathon pace is. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I personally have found, found it difficult in the build up to my first marathon just just what it was nailing that down did you have a pretty good idea of how fast you should be going uh in that race i did uh we've done a couple workouts out here that are longer tempos that would take you up to about 60 70 minutes so i had a decent idea of the paces that i should be holding down and then i also um i took a look at the race on excel spreadsheet and i kind of sorted out the paces that i want to hit so the first half of the race i went a little bit quicker than i was hoping to mm -hmm. and i was hoping to go faster on the back half but that wasn't the case but there was no uh there was 
like no motivating factors to do so um, or anything really to push me. So just kind of relaxed. But I think I do know where my marathon pace is and I'll probably, if I have that ability to do so in my next race, then I will. What did you think of the course? It was awesome. Yeah. Out of any race I've done in Canada, Toronto had the most supportive crowd. Mm-hmm. And the streets were full the whole mm-hmm. race. And there's that one part along Lakeshore Boulevard between like 30, 30 and 34K. Okay. And then you come back along the same way. Mm-hmm. There's not really anybody. Um, but then you get back into the downtown area and then there's just people everywhere again. So for all the races I've done in Canada, best support crowd, hands down. Flat too, eh? Uh, a couple of rollers, like a couple overpasses, but nothing crazy. Like mm-hmm. the, everybody talks about that hill at kilometer 39 where you have to go up the overpass and then you come down the backside. And I didn't find that to be too difficult. Like mm-hmm. at the old east side 10K course, they had a ramp that he had to come up uh, an overpass at the nine kilometer mark. And that sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at 39K, that hill is not the same size. So it was fine. <laughs> It wasn't anything too spectacular. So you cross the finish line. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty memorable. Mm-hmm. I think that for a couple of years from, from now, you'll still see the, the pictures of, uh, of Nacho Libre crossing that line, you know, <laughs> hands in the air, you know, to the ones where, where your head's against the pavement. Just Kodak moments, if I may use a dated reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that followed were... <laughs> interesting as well with the uh, with the gofundme that was set up for you as well mm-hmm. you know do you have any comments on on that sort of stuff um not not a whole lot the sports the sport means a lot to me mm-hmm. and everybody back at home is very supportive of me and i think they're very proud of me as well so for them to set something up in my name afterwards it's very touching and i'm extremely thankful for it um there's really no words that can express my feelings towards that and my gratitude so um afterwards i contacted every per or every person that donated to that page except for a few that i couldn't find on facebook or just couldn't find an email for Mm -hmm. i thanked every person that donated to that and um like when i go back to calgary i'm sure that we're all going to meet up as a group and mm-hmm. i think about 27 out of the 35 people that donated to it are all friends of mine so mm-hmm. that just goes to show how supportive the calgary community is and it just goes a long way so that's all i really have to say about it man I, you know that that's what i have to to think about i mean uh we were in touch before you made the the, the great leap out uh to ontario i it's something for, for me that I've always found very hard to fathom, but you know, it's helped put in perspective what the sport means to you, you know, from, from my perspective, mm-hmm. seeing that sort of stuff. You know, this, is that sort of thing going through your head? You know, that you know, there's probably a bunch of people from Calgary watching the live stream or you know, paying attention to your training, you know, making sure that, that you're doing great things. You know, does that, that have any part of the, the psychological makeup when you step on the line? 100%. Yeah, because it's, it's my roots. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been able to get to where I am right now without the help of others back at home. And mm-hmm. even my old coach, Jamie, I'd say, like, he was so significant to me 
to get me introduced to the sport, get me on the right track, and to improve greatly over time. Mm-hmm. So it, it, him just as one example, his support and love for the sport as well goes so, goes so far. Same with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Even working with Jeremy Deere over the years, even working with Blaine Penny over the years. Like, those are relationships that you want to help grow over time. And they're always going to be there. They're lifelong relationships. The build-up to this really wasn't all smooth at all. From, from, just from, from my own outside perspective, uh, there is definitely some stumbling blocks uh, I'm not sure if you're calling Philadelphia that or if I'm out of line for calling it oh, that. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Um, but it, it didn't go all smoothly, and it really kicked off with, with an injury last last spring. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they talk about adversity being the best teacher and stuff. It, did you find that to be true? Um, not too much on this go-around. Um, for, for the most part, like the first six weeks of training, I felt really sluggish and just not my normal self. And then things started to get going. I felt mm-hmm. better. And in Philadelphia, that was just just having a rough day. And that's all I'll say because it's pretty personal to me. And um, like it's, it's not that <laughs> I physically couldn't do it. I just emotionally had a bad day. So mm-hmm. I don't care that I ran 114 there. Mm-hmm. It happens. People have good days. People don't. So... Um, but it gave me a lot of mo- motivation to take that race bib, write my time on it, put it on my door, and make sure it never happens again. So um, I felt like running Toronto, that kind of <laughs> ended that whole little saga. So I, yeah. I've recently taken it down. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you just kind of go on. If you have mm-hmm. good days, great. Enjoy them. If you don't, then make sure it doesn't happen again. You bounced back pretty good, eh? Uh, you know, it looks like you're, you're back to running fairly good mileage and stuff. Did, how long did you feel that you had the real marathon legs after? Oh, like after the race? Yeah. Um, it was a few days. Yeah. I showed up to practice last Wednesday, I believe. No, it was like two Wednesdays ago, about 10 Mm -hmm. days ago. Mm -hmm. And I only ran for 30 minutes and the first five minutes felt so weird. It felt (laughs) like I was out in space. It was just the most unusual experience I've had. Mm -hmm. And uh, the day after felt a little bit better, but still felt really sluggish and just my energy levels were really low and mm-hmm. just continued to plug away and focus on stretching and just rolling out and making sure that everything was healing up. So, um, I feel close to normal right now. Yeah. Um, but I know that I'm not, so it'll probably <laughs> take a few more months. Did I hear correctly that that cross is on in the cards this, uh, this month? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Taking it day by day. For sure. Maybe maybe let's look a little farther into the future. Um, you know, you have a marathon under your belt. You also have a bunch of really great 10Ks, I think, uh, in your legs still as well, too. And I'm sure Evan probably hopes so as well, because uh, I'm sure he loves training with you. Um, you know, what's, what's next year looking like? The non-championship year. Marathons. Marathons. Yeah, I love that race. Just that experience in Toronto, the whole training, the build-up, the higher mileage. I just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to continue doing. I don't want to spend time on the track. I want to spend time on the roads. I want to travel to cool places, see new buildings, meet other people. That's just where my focus is. So that's what we'll stick to. Two of them next year? Who knows? Three? Four? Five? <laughs> nah, uh, probably max out at two. Maybe a spring, maybe a fall. Figure something out. But right now, we don't have any plans. 
uh, a slightly younger Yuki Kawuchi, I guess we could say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long before you try the uh, the half marathon in a suit world record? <laughs> Never going to happen. <laughs> maybe when I'm 40 and washed up. <laughs> or actually maybe like 45. Who knows? The longevity of Meb keeps me <laughs> pretty motivated to continue going up into my 40s but what do you think we'll of see. that i mean that was that was yesterday new the the new york half the times weren't super fast but it was really good racing what, what did you think watching that? yeah yeah um i didn't watch too much of it i was in mm-hmm. michigan with family so uh they had the harry potter marathon going so we watched <laughs> harry potter the whole day and then we watched thor in the evening and then came back for deathly hollers part two so i never watched the marathon right. we had it um my cousin was watching football, so we pop, uh, we pop back and forth a little bit, mm-hmm. and yeah, didn't focus too much on it. But good, it's good for American running to see Shalane Flanagan win, and I think just the impact that Meb has had on the sport, it makes a lot of people emotional, especially people that are close to him. So it's just really positive to see a guy that's well into his 40s still competing at a very elite level, and I think that gives hope to a lot of other athletes out there as well. Think how fast he could run if he was in New Balances, right? Oh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can plug your sponsor if, uh, if that's what you so desire. Um, you know, let me take you back to the first time that you were on the show. You were commenting on a panel about collegiate cross country. Uh, you were our expert in the West. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, now you're in Guelph. Uh, let's let's hear some predictions for their, uh, for next weekend. UFC Dinos, <laughs> pull out the win. <laughs> um, I think that the guys out here in Guelph, like Connor Black, he's running really really well right now. Mm-hmm. He's been consistent throughout all of his workouts, and he has a really strong mindset. So, I think for him, realistically, to be in the top two is a good spot to put him. Mm-hmm. Um, also taking a look at the Laval guys they've been consistent as well and like they won last year so I think again they're a good team to watch out for but um, I haven't really been keeping tabs on anybody else except for Guelph because that's where I've been and I've just <laughs> been training and I just really haven't had my eyes out on everybody else but I know that Russell Pennock with UFC Dinos he's been mm-hmm. running really well same with Adam Struby and Kieran McDonald's finding his legs as well so I hope that those three guys can do really well and um yeah we'll see I think it'll be a good race Canadian marathon champion that must sound pretty good it's cool <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Power. man it's always a pleasure to have you on thanks well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, both Melanie and Trevor, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find us online, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at the Terminal Mile. We're also on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. Big thanks to you for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. <laughs>